What a wild week in the NBA. Draymond Green has been suspended indefinitely after roundhouse tomahawk slapping uh, Nurkic in the face. We had Ballgate, Giannis going crazy, not getting the game ball after the Pacers game. A 64-point game for Giannis. Um, Patrick and I are doing the three best and three worst moves of the offseason. We're each bringing in our list, seeing how many we overlap, how many we didn't have. And we're wrapping up with Hot Streak Shooting Slump. Let's get into foul trouble. James, we are back in just like the ultimate um, like drama-filled NBA extravaganza of a week. Where where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Draymond, the Draymond saga, or do you want to start with Ballgate? Let's start with uh let's start with Draymond. Um actually, you know what? Let me let me ask you a question first, Patrick. Okay. Do you want to cover when we go further into the episode, do you want to do the worst or the best moves first? Ooh, um, we'll, let's end with some positivity. So let's start with the worst and then we'll, we'll finish with the best. Okay. If we're going to start with the worst takes, let's talk about Giannis 64 points in a game where he pretty much only shot in the paint. It was like reminiscent of Anthony Davis's game against the Pacers in the in-season finale. Uh, it's like the, what the Bucks game should look like. There's the Pacers just pound the ball inside to Giannis. It's kind of what we talked about. Like use the weapon you have and they definitely did. Um, so after the game, Giannis wanted the game ball to give to Damian Lillard for passing Kyle Korver fifth all time and made threes. The Pacers may or may not have had the game ball. The Bucks coach may or may not have been handed it to him right after the game by the ref. Giannis goes storming into the Pacers locker room. They said they wanted to give it to their rookie who scored his first career point. Um, it's kind of like this year's version of Laddergate. Yeah, it's exactly like this year's version of Laddergate, except I, I like it sneaky a little bit better because we've got... We've got a little like rivalry juice cooking up here. This is the third time that these teams have played this this season. Two of the games have gotten like a super chippy. Like neither of these teams play any defense and it's just like it could not be more fun. But I want to like back up like Giannis, you're you're kidding yourself. If you're trying to convince yourself that you wanted to give that ball to Dame for passing Kyle freaking Corver as fifth all time in three pointers made, like you wanted it for yourself, and that's okay, man. You scored sixty four points. Like that is insane. I I actually genuinely think if he said he wanted to give it to Dame for passing him fifth all time, then he actually means it. I oddly think he would be more mad about it if he wanted it for somebody else than if he wanted it for himself. Yeah, I mean, either way, it's just like like he definitely should be the one who gets the game ball. He definitely should. Like, if if you if he gave it to Dame, I would be upset with Dame if Dame wasn't just like, no, you. Yeah. Like, keep your sixty four point ball, sir. But like, yeah, I mean, talking about the game, yeah, the Pacers. We didn't really get to talk about the final in the in season tournament, but. The Pacers defense is just set up in a way where they just like give up the rim. They're like, Miles Turner's back there. Every once in a while, he'll get a block. Just do whatever you want. And Anthony Davis and now Giannis have really taken advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with this Pacers team. It's it is what we talked about, like after their Bucks one, where it's just like, I just 
the Bucks really have such a structural advantage over the Pacers. Like, weird they didn't go to it. Now they're going to it. Now that they saw what Anthony Davis can do. And I think that's the reason why this Pacers team has such a low ceiling, right? It's just like, eventually you will play either one of the Sixers or you will play the Bucks. I mean, obviously the Celtics probably beat the Pacers too. But in terms of just teams that it's just like, structurally, there's no real pathway for you to win. Those two teams are, they're there in the East. And if you're five, six, like, you're going to play them in the second round. Yeah, and I, I hope we get that matchup because I, I think it would be a lot of fun. And I think it would probably be closer with the Bucks than either of those other teams. That oh, because of the mentioned. defense. Just like structurally how they're made. But like, I, I just, I, it's so much fun that the Pacers and the Bucks are going to play five times this season. And, and it's, I don't know, it just makes me nostalgic for like, more regional rivalries in sports in general, but especially in the NBA. Yeah, no, I, I love a good regional rivalry. I mean, the NBA definitely needs it. Like it's, we've got a few like small ones. I think Philly, Boston, kind of New York, Boston is kind of like becoming a thing now that the Knicks are a lot more relevant. Obviously Lakers Warriors feels really propped up by LeBron, Steph and not the teams themselves. But yeah, I think these regional rivalries are great for the sport. Yeah. And something that we were talking about a couple weeks ago that I totally didn't realize we made a big thing about like players versus their hometowns. Um, Tyrese Halliburton yeah, Milwaukee. is from Milwaukee. I did not even realize, but that makes it even better. Yeah, no, it, it's fun. Um, should we touch on Draymond? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, so yeah, Draymond Green is suspended indefinitely after slapping, punching, swinging at Nurkic's face. He, he had an was, open. He had an open hand. He said I'll he was flopping. Him. Yeah, I mean, which like. Oh, I didn't mean to hit him in the face. I was flopping. Bro, you're flopping on an inbound pass where your team has the ball? What? What is that? And he, he, like, Nurkic did foul him. He had his hands on his waist, but he's pushing him out towards the three-point line. And how do you fall by, like, doing a 360 <laughs> and slapping him in the face? Um, yeah, so Draymond suspended definitely. Steve Kerr is kind of finally going on the, like, Draymond needs to get his stuff together. He said the guy who hit Nurkic, the guy who choked Gobert, the guy who stomped on Sabonis, that's the guy who needs help. So I think the whole narrative now is, like, Draymond's going to get the help he needs. It's almost oddly parallel to, like, the Jaw situation in terms of the way we're talking, like, everyone in the league is talking about it. But I don't, I don't know if this is the same thing where it's like hey man this is like an identifiable issue maybe work on this like i don't, I don't want to speculate on anyone else's mental health but like am i crazy for thinking it might not be like maybe this is just who draymond is this is kind of who he's been his whole career yeah i i don't i don't think it's crazy and and by the tone that especially his teammates have spoken about it in interviews it they're they've just accepted it you know, I feel like in a lot of situations like this in sports, the players are always very like aggressively on their teammates' side, hoping to get them back as soon as possible. And the tone you touched on Steve Kerr's comments, it's very much like I, I wonder if there's things that we don't even know. Of course there are. There has to be. But there has to be things that we don't even know about, like just day-to-day -day interactions. You know, when you have a per person in your life that you work with or in your family that is not in a great place men mentally that manifests in like so many different ways. But I, I do kind of want to like shed a light, light on just like what this means basketball wise for the Warriors. I was just looking at like Draymond's 
stats for oh, this wait, wait, season. Wait. Patrick, can this can I hold can I cough you? Can this be our segue into the three worst offseason moves? Can I go into my number three? Uh yeah, it totally can. Number be. three. Draymond Green signs a four-year, $100 million extension with the Warriors. Okay, pitch, pitch this to me because I, I, okay. like, I, I might have to push back a little bit. The Warriors' defense is four points better per 100 without Draymond. They are a better defensive team without Draymond now. Draymond is a bad offensive player. He has no effect on the offense, good or bad, points per possession-wise when he's out there. Uh, obviously, the guy is now getting suspended left and right. He's not aging well. He's on washed watch. Him and Clay are like the new car wash kings of the NBA. And $25 million against the cap for a guy who's really bad right now and is only getting worse? I mean, that is that contract is going to be really ugly, even though it's not even that big in like a year. Yeah. It's not tradable at this point with how he's acting. It's not tradable at this point, but I think if you're the Warriors, you're you're capped out to hell. You, there's no way that you can add like through free agency, very, very limited trade avenues. So for me, I, I feel like re-signing Draymond was like kind of you just have to do it just to like secure the roster spot and the and the cap slot. But I mean, Draymond has been aggressively bad, at least the numbers say on defense. Like he. Did you look at his personal defensive give rating? Give it to us. Give it to us. 118, which is 8 points, 8.8 .8 points worse than any other season in his career, which is really bad. I will push back. Draymond has been sneaky, a really important player for them on offense this year. And he's, in my view, or at least the stats say it out, he's like had a larger load than he really is, I think, comfortable with. And he's performed okay. He's got a career-high true shooting right now, career-high assist percentage, close to a career-high usage, his highest usage since the 17-18 season. Um, this is not to say that he... But, but, but Patrick, with all the rest he's accumulating. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. Like, how many games is he going to miss because of violence? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the best... Ability is availability, <laughs> and you are so right, right on that. I, I did think about this. Um, I don't know, like, what is the answer here? Like, I just think this is Draymond. This is who he is. This whole notion of like this is a recent thing is, it's baloney, bro. This is Draymond's entire career story is just like dirty plays, hitting people, like. Again, I love Draymond Green, the player in his prime. I think super unappreciated of the way him and Steph navigated that like short roll up top and his ability to kind of pass, you know, drive, find the corner guy, find the lob. Like, and a way underrated offensive player at his peak. I think we all know that. But like, I just, I just don't see how this contract is good. I honestly could see him retiring before this ends. And I think that would be the best thing that could happen for the Warriors because like, they are not going to be able to get off this contract. They are stuck with Draymond, and he is just a declining player. And it, the team overall is better when he's off the court. And I don't know, man. Like, I just, that's my number three. <laughs> Luckily for the Warriors, 25 million is not what 25 million Used was to be. a couple years ago. And it, it's going to be a much smaller contract as we go forward. But I, I do agree with you. 
there's no way that they can trade this contract before, not that they would, but before the offseason at a minimum. And can we just glance at what the standings look like right now? Let's take a look. The Warriors are in 11th place right now. Um, they are three games back from the Suns. And it's get, getting a little dicey. Like, three games back of the Suns, three and a half game back of the games back of the Pelicans, who are at nine. And they're going to be without Draymond for 10 games. 15 games I I watched and the I've watched the last two Warriors games I I watched the game against the um Clippers last night which you know they were kind of in the game but like at the very end uh, I've really loved pods for them but like he got played off the court by Harden um and and they just didn't have enough offense and didn't have nearly enough defense to to win that game Two games ago, they score like their bench scores like 80 points. Like, I'd like to see an all time, like, what is the win loss record for teams that have 80 points off their bench and then find a way to lose that game as well? Like, I, I, I don't, I, once he comes back, I don't know where they're going to be. So, this is the worry for them as the worst. I don't know their actual next 15 games, but I highlighted this on a pod, I think, a week or two ago. Is the, up until that point, the Warriors had had the most difficult schedule in the NBA. So, this Draymond suspension is coming at a time where the Warriors' schedule should actually soften up after that Suns game, after that Clippers matchup, because the Clippers have been playing way better since we've kind of had them in the limelight of discussion. And, like, the Warriors maybe go on a little run, play like above 500 basketball, and all of a sudden Draymond comes back. Like, I don't know. The way their schedule is set up where they're going to have a lot more easy games now, like, and they start experiencing success more with him gone, like, I think it's it just gets uglier and You want to do a little win-loss? Uh, yeah. I'll give you the games. You tell me if it's a win or loss. Um, so their next game is Sunday against the Nets. Win. The, then at Portland on December 17th. Win. Then at Boston, loss. Then at Washington, so it, win. It, pretty easy four games. I don't. I don't. They could lose it. That they could Nets go two game. and two. They, yeah, the but, Nets game is a 50-50. The the Wizards and Blazers they should definitely win. The Blazers playing sneakily a little better though. So so they they play against the Wizards and then they play against the Blazers the very next day on a back to back, which toss young up. legs. Yeah, Blazers. I, see, that's the thing though. This team isn't very good. So that exactly, but Steph like, is still really like that's the thing. They do have this player in Curry who can win them a game against any of the other twenty nine teams in the regular season any given night. Okay, so that's that's five games, six games with the game they played last night. Then they have Christmas against Denver, which they're probably gonna lose. They're gonna lose. They their next game is the twenty eighth versus Miami. They're gonna lose, and then. Dallas on the 30th. They're going to lose. And then the first game of next year against Orlando. They're going to win. They're, damn. <laughs> well, all right. Here's the thing, though. They're probably not going to lose every game I said they're going to lose, right? That's just not really how sports works, especially in the NBA regular season. Yeah. Like, they're probably going to win more of the games than I think. But I don't know. I just – I do think, like – I think this team is better than what their record is. And I think a lot of it is this kind of off-the-court nonsense. And I just think, like, if they do kind of play, like, six and four basketball without Draymond, like, I don't know. Like, the young guys start getting a little bit more minutes in his absence. Like, I'm worried. About I don't know if like that's a good back. thing. 
I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if it is either, but I just don't know if it's good for their locker room to kind of give these young guys like 20 more minutes and then take it away again if Draymond comes back and he he keeps playing like trash. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough. Like, Kaminga will have like two great minutes to like 10 just like minutes he's just running around and being super athletic. Like, I, I think you can get like consistent good minutes out of Moses Moody um, I, I, I've liked what pods has given them, but like, as teams get to know who he is and he's playing huge minutes, like I saw it last night, like Harden was going at that dude and he's a pretty good, like defensive guard. He's got pretty good size. I love how he rebounds the ball, but like, he was not ready for that. Yeah. All right. You know what? Warriors fans already don't like me. I said they're not a contender. I mean, at this point, are they even a play-in contender? Um, let's talk about teams that matter. What's your number three move? My number three worst move of the of last offseason. Let me preface this a little bit. The reason that we're talking about these right now is today, it is December 15th, and it is the first day where any player that was a, a signed free agent is available for trade. So we're looking at this a little retrospective. Um, my third worst move for from the offseason is going to my man, James Jones, for absolutely throwing away a roster spot and signing Bull Bull this last offseason. And I think it, like, you can talk yourself into Bull Bull. Super easy to talk yourself into Bull Bull, but realistically, there has been no point in his career where he's been a positive player the Suns were going into this year when they signed Bull Bull they didn't know what was going on with the DeAndre Ayton situation but they knew that they lost Jock Landale they're trying out a new thing with Drew Eubanks who has been very hit or miss super super like he's constantly fouling um, I have a lot of like mixed feelings about Drew Eubanks most of which are kind of negative right now um, and you decide that, oh yeah, like our third center is going to be Bull Bull, a guy that literally cannot play. Do you know his offensive rating right now? Is it like 102? Nope, lower. It's below 100? Oh yeah. In today's in today's economy? <laughs> <laughs> I will say he's only played, I think, 16 minutes this season. Okay, okay. That doesn't count then. He, but... He has a 44 offensive rating. <laughs> okay. How, How do you even do that? That? Yeah, that's, that means the whole team was awful for that. He has a minutes. 44 offensive rating. That's such a small sample size, though. But he's the best passer on the Suns. Yeah, yes. the best ball handler. He's the best ball handler <laughs> and passer on the Suns. But, like, just going backwards a little bit more, like, let's say, like, there was a lot of rumors about that Dame trade that, no matter what happened, the Nurkic DA thing was going to be a part of it. And so like, great, like you had that plan, James Jones. So you're going to trade for, and I've loved Nurkic for the most part. Like he's been a mixed bag defensively, but he's been really positive offensively for the Suns. But Nurkic is a super, super um, injury prone guy. So it's like, we're swapping out DA for Nurkic. And then this like, completely mystery box of Drew Eubanks. And then this guy that we don't even know if he's going to be able to get any minutes in bowl bowl, like just, and you had Jock Landale's bird rights. You had Bismack Biombo's bird rights. I just think 
awful move for a team that's trying to contend. I mean, it's not a good move. Um, but Patrick, it's a great segue into my number two, also involving the Phoenix Suns. Great. I call this one, you know the contract sucks, but you forget how bad it sucks. I think the Bradley Beal trade is the number two worst move. <laughs> Dude, get out of here. So this Bradley is, Beal is, has played in five out of 24 this year with back issues. I, I have this. This is I have a little Ben Simmons-itis from this. <laughs> when the team is being overly cautious with you, that's not a good thing. That means you're injury prone and it's going to keep happening. He played 40 games two years ago, 50 games last year with the Wizards. He's, I don't want to say he's been bad because he's played in five games, obviously coming back. So I'm not going to talk about his play on the court. Obviously, we all know Bradley Beal is a good shooter. He's a good driver. He's a better playmaker. I just feel like $46 million this year, $50 million next year, $53 million the following year, $57 million the year after that for a guy who's just chronically injured at this point. Like, Patrick, if they don't win the title this year, there's a chance that like starting next season... This is like the worst. I mean, it's already one of the worst contracts in the NBA, but there's a chance like this is like a crippling contract to the point where like it takes four years of title contention away from Booker's prime. I don't agree with you at all. Like, (laughs) first of all, like Bradley Beal, I think when he's been on the court, which has been very brief, he's looked like Bradley Beal. Um, And second of all, what were the Suns giving up? Like, Chris Paul has not been that great. And talk about someone that's not going to be a part of the Suns' future. That's Chris Paul. I think, though, the problem is is viewing it as the Chris Paul replacement instead of viewing it as, like, your ability to make moves under the second apron with the new CBA rules. But also just, like, it just feels like the Suns are now the better version of the team that can beat anybody on any given night but lose to anybody on any given night. It's like the offense is better, but it still feels like offense wasn't the problem in their playoff loss to the Nuggets. Yeah, but how how are you getting better with but the like pro- in that way with with Chris Paul? But it's but they could still move off of Chris Paul, but I don't know. I just feel like this move is like if they don't win this year, I just don't see how they're going to win because you've built the team around three guys who are just so injury prone. And like with Beal, like back issues, man, like they don't go away. Like, I don't know, man. Like, I think there's just a world where like Beal's just always missing a ton of games and he's just eating this cap space. There absolutely is a world where that is happening, but like at least you have that cap slot open. Like with Booker and and, um, Durant and DA, with how much money they were making at the time and replaced that DA money with the people that they swapped them out for, you're already way, way over the cap. So it's like if you, one option you had was just letting Chris Paul's contract expire then you just can't replace it at all because you can't sign anybody. Like you've got your mid-level exception, but like, what are you gonna do? But with you don't that? think they could have traded for a different player than Bradley Beal? I honestly don't think so because Chris Paul didn't have any value. I think though, like, I'm just worried because with the new second apron rules, you can't trade. Beal has no trade clause, so already it's gonna be hard to trade him because of that. But. You can't even trade him for a sum of parts because of the second apron rules. But I don't think you could have gotten like something worthwhile out of Chris Paul more than. But I think Beal. that the world where like you would let... you rather them had Pool? You think that would have over been better? Beal? Yeah, over no, Beal. No, but I just I I'm my worry with Beal and the reason why I have this as my number two move is just like if the Suns don't win this year, like there's just a real world where like next year like Beal's just 
a complete shell of himself after like three years of bad back injuries and you're stuck with him and Booker is now on this team that has no shot to win. I think that's my real fear. Yeah, I mean, because I, I just feel like the real move for the Suns would have been like maybe be patient with Chris Paul, let him rebuild trade value, like and really try to use that salary cap slot to get better down low. Because it just feels like this team is so supercharged on the wings. But like, I don't know, man, I just don't see the, how they're going to beat like a Lakers or a Denver in a playoff series. I like totally like I, I have that worry, too. But I think you're just way overvaluing Chris Paul. Like what what could you get for Chris Paul right now? The Suns had no picks before they traded for Bradley Beal. They really didn't invest pick pick like um, equity into that Bradley Beal deal. I just I I felt like it at the time, and I, I feel like it now. They got Bradley Beal for a killer price, and like they were already with the Durant trade. It let me go back. I just feel like if. If you think that the Suns shouldn't have done the Beal deal, what you're really saying is they shouldn't have done the Durant deal. Because I, I, you're already pot committed. I just I just think the season is long and you could have gone into the season with Chris or maybe there's another trade we don't know about. I just I'm just this Beal contract is so bad and it's not tradable. Like yeah, I, I just don't think million, that 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 Paul deal is is tradable. I just I just think like two years from now when he's making 53 million and he's playing in like 25% of the games, like it's, it's just going to be ugly. Yeah. But I mean, what if he's not playing in 25% of the games? That's true. I mean, if he's healthy, but we just, we haven't seen it for a long time and yeah, he's getting I, older. We're, we're only 25 games into the season, but I'm going back a couple of years now. It's been like multiple years now where he's missing a lot, a lot of games, but you got to factor in the st- state of the wizards as well at the time like a lot of those games were tanking games that like there was no rush for him to come back as well i'm not saying that he hasn't been injured but like i don't think that the number of missed games really tells the full story of what was going on with bradley beal in washington um but yeah i mean like it's super concerning the other half of the that trade that from a Suns fan that watches every single Suns game, Jordan Goodwin has been absolutely awesome for the Suns. He's one of the only players that has that the Suns have their bird rights. He has already surpassed Josh Okoge, who was starting for the Suns last year in the rotation. He's like been like a pretty real three-point shooter. So like getting him for basically free also has been really awesome for the Suns. I just don't see it as a I I cannot co-sign as that being a bottom three move this offseason with what the Suns had on the table. All right, what is your number two move? Uh, my number two worst move of the offseason goes to the Memphis Grizzlies for signing Derrick Rose. Wow, these are weird. Yours are like <laughs> off the back burner. My my thing with this, this move is like, obviously the Grizzlies have been absolutely awful this season. And it's because they have not had any guard depth. And to sign a player that is 35 years old and is like one of the most notoriously injured players of this like generation of the NBA and saying like, yeah, this guy's going to get us all the way through the 25 game jaw suspension is just, in my opinion, like 
malpractice and a huge reason why the Grizzlies are where they are. I think if they made it a point to get, I mean, I, I know that they got Marcus Smart, but like get one more real guard that you could rely on. I think maybe the Grizzlies are in that play and mix. I'll push back a little bit. I just, I don't know what the Grizzlies are supposed to do because like, how are you going to get a semi-competent point guard to want to commit to a team that has smart Bane and jaw? Their minutes are going to be down the moment jaw comes back. I don't know. It's kind of hard to critique them for like a back of the bench signing in my opinion, just because like, I don't really, who's the player that you think they could have got? I mean, I think the misstep maybe is trading Tyus Jones. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's definitely a misstep, but I don't know, just like investing a roster spot there. Um, you you could have taken a flyer on like multiple guys. Like, I, I don't know, like if you could have like tried to, uh, apparently the Bucks were done with Grayson Allen. Like he's played a little bit of like that combo guard role for the Suns. Um, I, I just think like investing in Derrick Rose at all for this team was like a very predictable thing that was going to go really bad. And it's pretty much ruined their season, like having no guard depth. Yeah. I mean, without knowing the exact salary cap figures and everything, like I guess the play would go for like a, is it Jalen Carter on the Bulls? Who was used, used to be or on the Javon Bucks? Carter. Javon Carter. Yeah. yeah. Javon Carter would have been, I guess, a nice signing. I just don't know the salary cap possibility of that at the time. But I mean, it is tough because you're, you're, you're trying to get a guard who's competent enough to like, you know, uplift this team but you're also telling him hey once jaw comes back you're fourth yeah that is that's a tough sell um but but also it's not as cut and dry as that like marcus smart can play all the way down to the three like i I think you can pitch it in a way where it's like if you play well you can earn real minutes on this team um yeah talk about another like injury prone guy and like luke Kennard, like he really has not been in their rotation very much. Can't play defense. I, I mean, it's it's interesting because you and I were really on this at the beginning of the season that the Grizzlies are gonna be really really bad. Yeah. Like, and I felt like the the main media like narrative was like, oh, the Grizzlies are great without Jaw, and it's like they were great without Jaw two years ago. They were not great without Jaw last year. Um, that's the sneaky thing about the Grizzlies is that was a one year thing. That wasn't like an in perpetuity thing. But me and you highlighted like this team has a chance to be really, really bad because I feel like the whole narrative was like, oh, it's the Grizzlies. They'll go 12 and 13. And me yeah. and you were like, no, they're going to go like five and 20. <laughs> Even a guy like like Patrick Beverly. Like, yeah, that's that's a good that's a good that would have been like a perfect person to throw. On. I, I love the Javon Carter name. Even if you like they had tried to invest like um, in like. Like Cole Anthony was a restricted free agent that didn't get like a, a crazy deal who has had an awesome season thus far. Um, like hint, hint, I, I will be talking about him later. Um, th- I, I just think that there were, if there's one thing that the NBA has a lot of, it's guys that can play guard. Yeah. But I will say it has a lot of guys who can play guard. It doesn't have sneakily as many guys who can play guard pretty well that are available. Yeah, thing. that's true. But I mean, the Pistons traded for Monty Morris, you know, like, yeah. there's, can, there's can you get there. in there? Like the Grizzlies are not a team that doesn't have assets. Yeah. I mean, certainly I would say the Rose signing in a vacuum maybe isn't a top three worst move, but the overall assumption that the smart Bane backcourt would be enough to prop you up pre-jaw was the 
Yeah, was it, the it's overall the entirety. Ensemble, yeah, yeah. I, I have no problem with the the figure, but just like the thought, just like the Bull Bull thing. Like, I have no problem Bull Bull signing a minimum contract, but like the roster construction and like considering where you are as a team, I think in both cases are just like huge major major missteps. Um, who do you you are? My this is your one number move, one. My number one worst move of the off season. I debated switching two and one, but truly this is worse because at least with the Bradley Beal trade, to your point, there's a world where he gets healthy. There's a world where the Suns win the title. This one, this is a world where they will never win the title. Uh, this is also called you know the contract sucks, but you forget how bad it sucks. We got Monty Williams to the Pistons. Ooh. Six year contract worth seventy eight point five million. He's the head coach of the Pistons. Um, they are two and twenty-two. He has completely alienated their second-year guard, Jaden Ivey, who's been a little bit better this year. Um, this is a small market team, so usually small market teams are a little bit slower to move off head coaches because they don't want to pay head coaches, you know, two or three at a time because head coach salaries are usually fully guaranteed. Um, Patrick, you highlighted this in the offseason. This guy loves playing double big lineups. Uh, the Pistons don't have bigs that space. All of the Pistons bigs are doppelgangers of each other. They're all, I mean, obviously they're all different in their own way, but like they're all rim first guys, all four of them. Wiseman, Bagley, Durin, uh, Stewart. They're all like, all. they all want to do the same thing on offense. And yeah, this guy kind of just sucks at coaching. I'm going to be honest. He had a quote earlier this week where he literally was like, I'm realizing how important spacing is. Like, dude, 2012 calls. Like, we're a decade past realizing how important spacing is. Yeah, I mean... Like, what? I've been on this, dude. Like, Monty Williams, you did a lot of great stuff for the Suns. But, like, the fact that a a year after a championship run, you can, like, completely have no relationship with two of the guys that started for you in that championship run, I would have hoped would have set up major red flags... For just the NBA. And like this Jaden Ivey situation does not surprise me whatsoever. And I don't know what you do as the Pistons at this point. So I looked it up. So Tom Gores, owner of the Pistons, he's worth a clean 9.5-ish billion. So he's actually one of the more wealthy sports owners in America. There we go. So if there was Shouts an owner. Little Caesars. <laughs> if there's a guy who could stomach, God, paying Monty Williams five years um, of a mult of like a what looks like to be what is that a 12 million salary all you need to know is when he signed it it was the biggest coaching contract in NBA history which like I feel like if you're the owner of a team and you're sitting down with money Williams and you're like all right what what are you expecting salary wise and he's like I want to be paid more than Eric Spolstra and you're <laughs> like huh so you just got fired, and Eric Spolstra just led a ragtag team of undrafted players to the finals. So why should you make more money than Eric Spolstra? Well, like, what, what do you think his answer was? In Monty's defense, all the reporting that I saw was that Monty didn't want to coach this year. He, he like was very spent from the Phoenix run, which I get a very emotional couple of years for him in that run. And what I assume happened was the Pistons were just like, tell me a number you can't refuse. And he did, and they did it. And like, hey, if ever a team, if ever you told me a team had a coach that didn't want to be there, a 21 loss like streak 
from a team would like convince me that their coach didn't want to be there. Yeah. So again, I don't like to be hyperbolic, but this team is two and twenty-two, Patrick. So they're on pace to go four and forty-four, six and sixty-six. Obviously, it'll differentiate. Maybe in some stretches they win four games or five games. Maybe they literally win no games. They're on like a 19-20 game losing streak. Patrick, there is a real chance. There's a real chance this is the worst team in NBA history. Absolutely. That's on the table. And there's do, like, do you like, know when they're too? hyperbolic? There's a real chance this team finishes the year with like six wins and is the lowest winning total in the history of the NBA. One year into a six-year contract that is this bad. You've lost the locker room. You have to fire him. And now you're on the hook for five years, what looks to be like $66 million. Do you know when their two wins came? Like right at the beginning of the season. First game of the season was a get, was against the Heat. They lost. It was a one-point loss. Then they had a two-game winning streak against Charlotte and against Chicago. And they've lost every single game <laughs> since. This situ- I, know, I know people don't really care much about the Pistons in the general world, but... But you should, because we don't see teams lose like this. This is bad. I mean, the Spurs too, though. The Spurs too, though. That's the thing. The Spurs are taking the the Spurs and the Wizards, even though the Wizards have been better than this team, are taking the heat off how bad the Pistons. But I think everyone's coming around to how bad the Pistons are. I mean, it's coaching malpractice in Detroit and San Antonio. I mean, like, I know Popovich is a legend, but I've been on this all year. Like, dude, it's coaching malpractice down in SA right now. At at least you've got hope. Yeah. In in San Antonio. You've got real hope. Like Victor looked really good against the Lakers. I think the difference between the Spurs and the Pistons is like the Pistons, I don't think, are trying to be absolutely horrible. And like the Spurs, it looks like they're intentionally trying to be bad. Yeah. There's it's it's like a completely different set. And I I think the Spurs still have more wins. Yeah, they do. (laughs) They have one more win, right? They have one more win. Yeah, two two of those wins against the Suns. Maybe the Bradley Beal deal was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't playing. Um, okay, um, you want to know mine? Yeah. I think you'll like this one. My worst deal of the offseason was the Jordan Poole for Chris Paul trade. I really debated putting it there. Like I really debated putting I, it there. I don't think we Wait, can- wait, from which side? From the wizard side. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. I had to clarify. From the wizard side. Uh, I think Chris Paul's been okay for for the Warriors. Nothing to write home about. Like, I, I don't think he's made like he's been better than Jordan Poole. I, I don't think he's made a case to start, but yeah, he's been better than Jordan Poole in pretty much every way possible. He's averaging more rebounds, assists, steals. He's shooting more efficiently in every like Jordan Poole is shooting 29% from three. Jordan Poole's awful. He's been, but he wasn't, he wasn't always this awful. The Steph effect, man. Like, the I Steph guess. effect is real. <laughs> like, we, we need to all give Steph Curry his flowers, man. Like, he's propped up a lot of guys who were good, but he made them look better than they ever were. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's just like a visual learner and he had to see like Steph doing it right next to him. But like, now the Wizards are on the hook. For this, like, it's a baby max, but it's a max contract for Jordan Poole when they could have just had one year of Chris Paul teaching all of their players how to play and then just been off out of the high salary game altogether for a Wizards team that sucks. Like, they suck as well, and they could have sucked marginally less 
if they just had Chris Paul on their team. Oh, I think they'd suck way less if they had Chris Paul on their team. I don't know if it's still this way, but I remember when I looked at their lineup data, I just did like the pool on off and the Wizards are like a competent 500 level basketball team on like every non-pool lineup yeah, that gets you, major minutes. Do you want to guess um, Jordan Poole's net rating? It's got to be like negative eight point something or like negative 12. It's negative 19. That's awful. But what is it? Like their team as a whole is not anywhere near that bad when he's off the court. Yeah. I, I, I don't have the, the, the full Wizards um, lineup data. We, when we right did now. our valuable contracts and I had Kuzma up there. I know Kuzma's kind of, you know, has his clown show moments as well. But like the Kuzma no pool lineups were like positive net rating. Like pool is in absolute disaster. It's an untradeable contract because of how bad he's playing. And he's just going to be like. Another, yeah, talk like, about like an absolutely trade uh, untradeable contract. It's that that pool deal. Unless it's just like Jordan Poole's the hot potato for teams that want to tank. It's like yeah. Chicago, it's your tanking year. <laughs> yeah. How about you take Jordan Poole? Oh, Brooklyn, you you decided you're gonna go tank route. All right, we'll give you Jordan Poole. It's like we just pass Jordan Poole around to whatever team wants to be the worst in the NBA. <laughs> and to your point about like that avenue that was an option for the Suns, like. A team that could have waited to see if Chris Paul could have built up a little bit of value is the Wizards. Oh, like, yeah. You could have gotten maybe something, but they really just got an awful, awful one of the worst value contracts in the absolute league. I mean, Wizards are going to Wizard, right? Like, even if me and you disagree about the Bradley Beal trade, I think both of us feel like the Bradley Beal contract yeah, it's, is just like it's and the team that gave it to yeah. him was the Wizards. Mm-hmm. All right, should we talk about our best moves? Yeah, let's let's get a little bit more positive. Um, I'm, I, I like my first one. It's a little head ass because I don't like the. I love the move itself, but I the reason I like have the move at number three isn't because of the move itself. It's because of what it created. Got number three, Damian Lillard trade to the Bucks. Okay, and obviously the defense hasn't been there, but this isn't even about Damian Lillard. The reason I have it at number three, I'm going to read you a quote from Giannis. Quote: I would not be the best version of myself if I don't know that everybody's on the same page. Everybody's going for the championship. Everybody's going to sacrifice time away from their family like I do. And if I don't feel that, I'm not signing. About five days after the Damian Lillard trade, Giannis re-signed to the Bucs for five years. The reason I like the Damian Lillard trade is for all the reasons I liked it at the time. I think it really helps their offense. I think we're seeing this is a really, really good offensive team. I think the more they play together, the synergy gets better. This team is awesome. This is the best offensive Bucs team we've seen in the Giannis era. But really, like, Giannis looked like he was going to leave. Yeah, and getting Giannis to stay alone makes that one of the best moves. I didn't think about this angle that you're going at, and the like the angle that you're looking at it in. I think you could argue it was the best move of the off season because you're right. There was so much smoke about Giannis leaving. Like there was the the New York Times article, and there was that interview that he did on the podcast of like I don't know. I just need to see, like you said, I. Just need to see that the team is uh, on the same path as me. And like Giannis has once again been an MVP candidate. And now he's doing it on a long-term contract with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. And another sneaky thing that I didn't even realize so I'm looking at is like you also are preventing Damian Lillard from going to the Heat. Mm -hmm. Like if Lillard goes to the Heat, that's a team that the other three Eastern Conference powers are like. Oh my God, not again. So what about the butterfly effect of the Celtics getting Drew Holiday? That that was unforeseen, and I think it's more valuable to have Giannis in Sign, game. Yeah. But th- that was 
pretty rough. That, that must have been like a, wait, you weren't supposed to do that moment. That's why it's number three and not number yeah, one. Yeah, that's why it's number three and not number one. Um, yeah, I think that's... Uh, yeah, there's not much more than that, but you get Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the greatest players right now and of all time. Of all time. Stay. Say it loud and proud. Yeah, he's time. the man. All right. What do you got at number three? Um, number three, I'm giving it to the Indiana Pacers and their trade for Obi Toppin. I debated putting this one on. This is just like an all-time value grab. Like, they traded three second-round picks for a guy that has started every single game for them except for one game which just like very very rarely in the nba can you like concoct a trade with that much value for your team like second round picks are nothing second round picks 99.9 percent of the time equate to nothing and they got not only a starter but a young starter, a guy that, did you know he is leading the league in two-point field goal percentage right now? <laughs> I'm not surprised. At 76%. Of course, he's not taking very difficult shots, but like just an extremely efficient player right now, a guy that works with your star in Tyrese Halliburton, just like hand-in-glove fit. Like if you're a Pacers fan, you got to just be over the moon with that acquisition. Yeah, no, I, I really thought about putting that one on there as well. I tried to go for more uh, bigger, flashier moves with my list, but I really did think about that one because he has been a perfect fit. And I think, obviously, I didn't look at the numbers, but at least anecdotally from the Pacers games I watched, is, is his three-point percentage crept up like a lot? Like, is he like a, a little serviceable bit, he, shooter, shooter He's now? shooting 35% from three on like... So he's res like, you have to respect the, the rage. You have to guard him. And I think that's the big thing with... With him when I watch Pacers games is that like duality of like he can space or he can be this crazy lob finishing threat. Yeah, I mean, when he's one of the most fun guys that on attacking closeouts, that's like not a star. And when he's shooting 35%, you like yes, you, said, you gotta respect it. You gotta at least take a step towards him. And then the OB train is coming down the lane at you. Yeah. This was one of those moves at the time where everyone was like, ah, him and Halliburton. Yeah. Just makes so much sense. And I feel like a lot of the time when stuff like that happens, it like doesn't end up looking as great as it does hypothetically. And this is not one of those situations at all. This looks exactly how we were hoping. Yep. All right. My number two. This is a, it's kind of weird. I think they way overpaid for this player, but I think it's been a success. So Fred Van Vliet signs with the Houston Rockets. Patrick, when Fred Van Vliet is off the court, the Rockets have a net rating of negative 3.8. When Fred Van Vliet is on the court, they're plus 7.6. Oh so the Rockets God. go from like a below average team, like a 30-ish win team to like a 50, 50, like two win type team with Fred Van Vliet on the court. So he did sign a three-year, $128 million contract that's really fat for Fred Van Vliet. That's like a little over $40 million a year for Fred Van Vliet. I think that's a little bit too much. The reason I really like this signing is Fred Van Vliet's biggest weakness is his interior scoring. He's like always been one of these guys who's like a hyper-efficient, off-the-dribble three-point guy, but he really is not good finishing inside. But this Rockets team is filled with young athletes. It's filled with Sengun. It's filled with guys who are already trying to get to the hoop. And kind of like the Ime Adoku coach signing, like... Really what the Rockets needed was adults. They needed veterans to steady the ship. Fred Van Vliet is just kind of, when he's on the court, they're like a real NBA team. And just like, I don't know. I just think it's been really good for this Rockets team that I felt like was teaming with talent that couldn't put it together. But now that they've brought the veterans in, the hard-ass coach, like it's all coalescing into this 
500 basketball team, which is way better than people thought they would be. Yeah, yeah. My thing with this move is like, obviously for what they were trying to do, it accomplished that perfectly. Like they are a 500 basketball team. My, where I, I kind of feel like it's a, I'm in wait and see mode for this deal is, so we, we've had the jump from, from Shengun. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get the like true jump from Jalen Green or one of their other young guys? Because if that doesn't end up happening in over the course of Van Vliet's contract, I would say this might be a little bit of a mistake because they've taken themselves out of the running for like these high prospects. If there was ever a year to do that, it's this year. Um, this year, really? Or uh, next year. It's this year. It because you're good and you like are not oh, going like for you a, have no a chance to do it next year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. If it doesn't work out, you can always trade him. And then who knows where you are in the Cooper flag marathon yeah, of that's craziness. The weird, sneaky thing we didn't talk about with the Wizards, Pistons, Spurs. This doesn't seem like it's going to be a very strong draft class. Yeah, I, I would. This is definitely a draft class where I, I would like value like more bites at the apple than like the like, best I don't bites at the apple. I think like seeing this Fred Van Vliet to the Rockets, like why didn't the Spurs go for Fred Van Vliet? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. Like, seems like he would have had a very similar effect on the San Antonio team. Yeah. We've seen San Antonio plays well when Sohan's not at point guard. Like, I'm sorry to keep hammering the Spurs, but like, I don't know. It just like, you just okay. see like- I'm a Suns fan. I hate the Spurs. Yeah, like you it, you see it with the Suns too, right? They bring in Chris Paul, obviously well, better player than Fred Van Vliet, but up. it's just like, you have these young teams that have like young athletic guys who can shoot. It's like, it should make sense, but they're missing that veteran- playmaker that veteran ball mover and it's just like you just see over and over in in the nba it's like second third year iteration of these young teams you add the veteran point guard who can play offense and all of a sudden the team just takes off and it's just like why i don't know it's just history repeats itself i don't get why nba teams don't like look at that it actually reminds me of the move that the suns made before the chris paul move in signing ricky rubio in the bubble suns year because that just it made them a serious team. And although they traded him that next offseason for a star, it just was the perfect thing to like start setting the culture with him and Monty Williams and with Ime Odoka and Fred Van Vliet. The Rockets have done that exact same thing. And why I think it does belong in the conversation for these lists, if not in the top three. Yep. What's your number two best move? My number two best move, I I was trying to go for more under the radar moves and I landed on the Cole Anthony extension um, with Orlando. I think Cole Anthony for, I wouldn't have been surprised going into last off season if the, and especially coming off of the draft, if the magic were just like, you know what? We gave the Cole Anthony experience a chance, but he just, it, it just never really panned out. Like he was never really that great on defense, very streaky as a shooter, wasn't that like leader, I think, that they needed him to be. And despite that, despite drafting a point guard in the first round of the draft, they brought him back on a very reasonable three year, $39 million contract. And he has elevated himself to a true six-man-of-the-year candidate. The Magic are one of the best stories in the league. 
He is averaging 15 points um, on 25 minutes a game, 37% from three. The, the Magic season could have completely fallen apart when Markel Fultz and Wendell Carter Jr. got injured. But because of Anthony Black, because of Cole Anthony in a huge way, um, they are they were able to overcome that. And I just I, I think it's been like a huge home run signing. Now he's a real asset. Like they have point guards above him. They don't necessarily need to keep him. And I don't think he had value when they signed him. And now now he has real, real value. I'll push back on him not having value. I feel like Cole Anthony has always kind of been a good player. I feel like there's this weird perception, maybe maybe I just received in this way, where he kind of fit the like six-man shoot-a-lot type role. And I feel like he's never actually quite been that type of player. I feel like he always has been a bit more grounded. But I did watch an interview with Cole Anthony where he said, you know, I'm really going to embrace the off-the-bench role. Last year it was hard for me to embrace it. This year I'm really embracing it. Great culture fit. And yeah, I agree. That's an amazing move by the Magic. I mean, obviously, Magic had a killer offseason. Everything's coalescing into this great year. They just keep proving me wrong. Um, yeah, no, that's a great... great I, I didn't expect it either. That's a great value contract. Great value contract. And if you... I, I don't know if you listened to the him on the low post with Zach Lowe, but like just super funny dude. Yeah. Like really, Good really guy, yeah. great interview. So like go listen to that if, if you haven't. Um, the low post, one of the best podcasts going. Um, all right, my man. Number one, I think this is by far the best move of the offseason. An absolute slam dunk. The Boston Celtics trade for Chris Stapps Porzingis. That so. is what I have as number one as well. Okay, so they traded Marcus Smart, Danilo Gallinari, Mike Muscala in the 35th pick. They got Chris Stapps Porzingis, Marcus Sasser, who is the 25th pick. They've already traded Sasser and got a million seconds out of it. They got a 2024 Warriors top four protected first, which they immediately used and traded for Drew Holiday. So the Porzingis trade actually opened up the Holiday trade. Um, so this trade alone already gets you Porzingis and it gets you Holiday. Boom. Great. But this is where it gets better. Porzingis has a career low usage rate. Why is that like a big thing? Career high efficiency. He's averaging 1.31 points per shot attempt. That's a absolutely insane um and the reason i like the low usage rate is it suggests that porzingis is kind of coming in and he's just fitting into the tatum brown ecosystem right he's not coming in and being like i'm the guy in new york and washington like i'm here to fit into a title contender um the chris Epps porzingis lineups are a 119 offensive rating 107 defensive rating that's a 71 win pace yeah um the non-lineups are a 118 111 so that's like a 60 win pace so this isn't about Porzingis transforming the Celtics from like an okay team to a great team. This is Porzingis taking a team that want, in a normal year is the best team in the NBA, like a 60-win pace team. He's taking a team that's a normally just a best team in the league, and he's turning them into a one of the best teams of all time, statistically, from a net rating standpoint. Um, like, yeah, and players like that who can take you from really good to excellent is like not a lot of guys can really elevate a team like that. And he's just fit in so seamlessly. He's been amazing on offense. He's been amazing on defense. Like, I don't know, man. I This is the slam dunk move of the offseason. I'm I'm right there with you. Um, and like, he he's just really like makes their team make sense in every single lineup combination that he's in on the court. In, in their five-man lineups this year, of five-man lineups that have played at least six games together, 
Every single one that he's in is a positive plus minus. So it's just like always working out with Chris Stapps. And I think at the time of the trade, there was a little like concern trolling of like Marcus Smart was like the heart and soul of that team. He made so much of their defense make sense. They're so like loaded up at center now with Robert Williams and Al Horford and Chris Stapps. And like, I just like want to applaud Brad Stevens, who has really solidified himself as, if not like the best GM in the league, one of the best GMs in the league, because like just what, like we could have chosen the uh, Drew Holiday trade as one of these trades that was one of the best as well. Like it, like just such a home run, like you said, Um, it, yeah, just Great, great foresight. Great, great move. Yeah, you know what helps getting over the Marcus Smart hot and soul of the team? Replacing his shot attempts with Tingus Pingus attempts. Because those things are going in, bro. And Smart attempts. That's the weird thing with the Celtics was always, it seemed like the ball always found Marcus Smart at the end of big games. It never seemed like it found Tatum. But now it's like, okay, if it doesn't find Tatum, worst case, it finds like, Derek White. Derek White. Yeah. Or it finds Kristaps Porzingis. Like, that's where it's like, okay, what do you do with this Celtics team? Like, there's really no bad options. Yeah, and and I, I just want to say, I know we're not talking about that trade right now, but, like, the trading for Kristaps Porzingis made Robert Williams, like, expendable. And that is one of the better sell-high trades that I remember in recent history of the NBA because like Robert Williams did have like real, real value because he's a good player, but like him immediately getting hurt, having to have surgery season ending surgery. If they kept him, we would be talking about the Celtics in a completely different way this year. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's another good point too, is like, you know, Porzingis does come with his own injury concerns. He's already missed a couple games this season, but it's like, the guy he's replacing was Robert Williams. Yeah, so it's like, all right. Worse. <laughs> worse with the injury concern. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's just the biggest slam dunk, best move of the offseason. I mean, I think that's one of the best moves. Like, I think if the Celtics win the title, like, that's going to be looked back as like a truly transformational trade. Absolutely. And like, imagine like what we were thinking at the time of this trade. I don't think anybody would have said at, in December. The Celtics are going to be looked at as the clear favorite to win the championship. Yeah, I think a lot of people were really high on them, but I think definitely coming into the year, there was a lot more bucks. Yeah, there was so much bucks. And I, I think that people thought of the Nuggets as like a clear, clear number yeah. one, almost like on another pedestal yeah, level than the Celtics. And like at the very minimum, the Celtics and the Nuggets are on the same platform. I would probably argue at this point that the Celtics should be elevated above that with just what we've seen this season. Yeah, I'm dying for some Buck Celtics games. I know. I know. I imagine uh, imagine if we could have had that on on Christmas. Um, that would have been that just have been. so much fun. Yeah. Or even in the in-season tournament. Oh, that would have been great. Pacers were a fun run though. Pacers were fun. But yeah, Buck Celtics would have been what we all wanted. But yeah, that's <laughs> like I think the year where we get that, like the two best teams, like the the Warriors Cavs of whatever season in the in season tournament finals, that will be a fun like that. Final, yeah. That will be the best. 
Uh, Max, any off-season moves you want to shout out before we get to hot street shooting? Stuff? I'm curious what your guys' take is on the Heat getting rid of Gabe Vincent and Max Struess because I I understand that Spolstra can like technically do what he did with them with any undrafted players, but I kind of like really fucked with that whole lineup that they had last season. I was kind of sad to see both of them go. Yeah, I was too. On like as a Heat fan, I thought Struess was really really big for us. Like the spacing is good. The sneaky thing about Struess is like he actually attacks the basket a decent amount. I think he's been okay with Cleveland like pretty good early on it seems like Cleveland's got a lot of things going on um Gabe has not been great for the Lakers he's been injured like almost the whole season and the weird thing about Gabe was like last regular season he just like didn't shoot and then the playoffs turned on and he's like all right I'm gonna take step back threes and it's like who are you Gabe Vincent and I think like I was I think I was definitely more bummed to see Struess go just because I'd seen two seasons of Struess like being a positive contributing player but I mean the Heat have already like Haywood Highsmith, they got Kyle Lowry to randomly play Drew, better. Drew Smith. Yeah, like, I don't know. The Heat just kind of figure it out. I don't know. Spolstra just... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> he's a I, wizard, man. I, I do think it was a mistake letting Max Struess go. I, I think that's the kind of guy with his size, with his shooting ability that you just overpay for. Like, I, I just think he... Like, you look at Duncan Robinson. It was a huge overpay at the time and it didn't work for like a season but now where would the heat be without, without duncan, duncan robinson? robinson yeah that's the other thing too you just take a guy like duncan who basically sat on the bench all regular season last year played really well in the playoffs he comes in this season and all of a sudden he's added a closeout attacking game and he's mm-hmm. like attacking the hoop he attacked victor when the yama when we played the spurs and like schooled him a couple times like I don't know, man. The Heat, obviously the Heat are in world beaters. I think they're 14 and 10 right now, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're in the seventh spot. They're in the seventh in, spot, in the but like, I don't know. Like, the, I oddly, like last regular season, I was really like, oh my God, what is this? Because I think the thing is like the whole narrative with the Heat is like, this is a team that just doesn't take the regular season seriously. But like first year of Jimmy, they're like the three seed, they're the four seed. They clown the Bucks the entire regular season that year. Which is why, like, coming into that playoffs, I was like, let's go Heat. The next year, they're bad in the regular season. They lose in the first round. The year after that, everyone forgets, they were the one seed. That was the Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker. Yeah, they were the one seed, and they were one Jimmy Butler open three away from the finals. And honestly, kind of like the way we matched up with the Warriors that year. And then last year was the year that it was the only real year where the regular season didn't really quite match up with the playoffs. But I do think this year is kind of trending a lot like last year, where, like, Oh, wow, this is a way better playoff team than we all thought. Yeah, I I think letting Gabe Vincent go, like going back to the question, I think that makes sense. If if he's not like dying to be there, like like you said, it was a really mixed bag like in the regular season with him last year. And it's it kind of has like for all my old heads, some like Jerome James like possibilities like. He was really great in one playoff run. Do you want to sign him to, to like another one? Yeah. A, a big contract after that. Um, but you know, he's gonna heat. I did really like that signing for the Lakers under the assumption though that he was gonna play more like playoff game where it's like he's hitting threes and he's like a steady hand. And that totally could end up happening. happening. Yeah. He just hasn't been on the court at all. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing too, though. The Heat system is so much more egalitarian than the Lakers system, which is a lot of LeBron and Reeves and D'Lo are like the orchestrators. I, I will say, like, I like I don't really see where the minutes are coming from. For Gabe? For Gabe. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're this... going to come. Like, D'Lo's like, I don't know. D'Lo's been like to the point where I'm like, I'm not really hell-bent on trading him anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think D'Lo's been pretty good for them. He's definitely not taking Austin Reeves' minutes. 
Like they, all of their success has been very 2020 Lakers. We're jumbo. We're doing this thing. And Gabe Visit does not fit that like yeah. mold at all. But I guess we'll see. All right. Should we get to hot streak shooting slump? Why not? Let's do it. Max, do you have a hot streak or a shooting slump? Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of slumping. I'm slumping today. Oh, no. I'm a little tired. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, I went to a white elephant party last night and got a really fucking bad gift. <laughs> what What was it? What was it? It was it was like not funny. It was not good. It was just a stationary set that somebody clearly didn't want, like that they had been sitting in their house. It's oh just no, like, it was a regift. It was a regift. Wow. It was just like postcards that like kind of look cool, and I'm just like, I don't want. You I'm don't not gonna use that. this. <laughs> Oh, and like awful. I gave somebody edibles and like um, <laughs> it's an amazing gift. Yeah, the I, greatest gift one could give another person. I gave them a combo of a box set of Saw One and Saw Two and edibles. Wow, <laughs> you gave them a whole experience. Yeah. So thoughtful. Although yeah. I don't know if I'd want to watch those movies while high. Well, so my thought was like. <laughs> The movies are going to scare you and keep you up. And then the edibles are like sleepy time edibles. So they'll help you fall asleep after you have like nightmares, basically. So thoughtful. <laughs> I just, I want to see a picture of the stationary set because it was so bad it derailed your entire week. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm being dramatic for the sake of this segment, but yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've had a hot, hot streak. Let's go. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> like... I, I haven't had like a bad week by any measure. I, I, I haven't had like a sizzling hot streak, but I, I have to like lean to the side of hot streak. We had um, our company Christmas party. It was a mm-hmm. Korean barbecue dinner, which was very nice. I had a great time with my coworkers. Um, it's, it's almost, it, this is the, this upcoming weekend is the first half of my girlfriend's birthday week. So we're going out tonight. I'm very excited for that. Um, And then, you know, we had the, finally we had the debut of the big three for the Suns. Didn't go as I was hoping, but like, it made me very happy to see them all out on the court together. Something I, something I've been waiting for for my entire life was to see a big three in Phoenix. Um, A lot of flashes of awesomeness. So, I'm going with a hot streak. You know, it could it could get hotter, but it could have definitely been a lot colder as well. James, I'm I throw a, it to you. I am on a shooting slump, boys. Uh, <laughs> let's get the YouTube shorts rolling. So last Friday, I had a plumber come to the house to diagnose a leaky pipe in my kitchen cabinet. Find out the entire house's water pressure is too high. So what this means is any pipe that isn't like caulked by the greatest plumber ever is probably leaking. So... Come to find out, my entire first floor beneath the vinyl flooring, which is like the wood flooring, is like apparently flooded (laughs) to the point where like after this podcast, the first floor of my house is getting ripped up so it can be dried up. Some drywall might need to get replaced. All of this is very expensive. It was not what I was expecting to spend my house renovation money on. Um, It's just been a saga. I'm like not sure if insurance is going to pay for it. I'm literally going to find out in the next two hours. It's just, it's been very stressful. Homeownership is not... Is all, it's not as all glamorous as it's cocked up to be. Like, I don't know. It's like, I guess I'm, it's like one of those things where I don't even know if I'm raising my property value by fixing all this because no one even knew it existed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's been a bummer. It's been a lot, a lot, a lot of time doing that. Um, you know, last night I went on a little e-date, a little Minecraft date with this girl I've been talking to. Cool. And 
bro, she's on the phone, bro. I had to, we had to play. Her character can't even move properly because she's playing on her iPhone. We built maybe the ugliest house you've ever seen in Minecraft. <laughs> I mean, she dies to zombies the moment they go near her because she can't turn around properly on the phone. I'm on my computer, man. I'm like, bro. Yeah, you're just working overtime, killing zombies, yeah, building it, it, the house, it, thinking about your house. Yeah, it's just like, I don't know. I'm like, why can't you play on the computer? He's like, I got a Mac. I'm like, I know you have a Mac. You have a Mac. Man, I'll be honest, bro. Like, I feel like Macs are useless, bro. Like, there's no SD card reader on the side of that thing. There's no USB port. Like, I don't understand what the Mac actually does that is functional. It looks it, tight, dog. It, it looks cool. <laughs> and it, it talks to my phone. <laughs> That's like, it. Bro, I swear when you grow up, bro, all the Mac ads are like, artsy people use Macs and nerds use PCs. And then every time I try to do something with video, which is art, like you can't do it on a Mac because you can't even put footage on the goddamn thing. You need to fucking have someone with a PC do it for you, which I'm like, I don't know. My friend works in tech. He's like, well, you know, the USB-C cords, like it's very forward thinking. It's like when they got rid of the headphone jack. I'm like, that was awful when they got rid of the headphone jack. That was sucked. It still sucks. There's no reason they should have got rid of the headphone jack. I feel like there's like a like two thresholds of like being artsy and having a computer. It's like <laughs> if you just like wanna like play around with video editing and making music, having a Mac is awesome. But then if you wanna like do it professionally, it's like, okay, maybe you gotta reel it back. Go go back to your PC like roots. James, so, you're really on some old man shit this week. You're complaining about house renovations <laughs> and how technology ain't the way it used to be. Oh my gosh. That's Dude. true. Are you washed? I'm on Washed Watch. I'm officially on Washed Watch. We should do a Washed Watch episode and then I'll let you decide where I am from five to one. Who's, we're going to rank you against Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the other reason I've had a big shooting, big shooting slump is uh, just been working a lot. Tuesday, Wednesday, pretty much did the 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. type days. Those are not fun. But you know what? Where when when uh, what is it? When darkness comes, rainbows follow. What is the? That sounds right. <laughs> rain, rain, I, rainbows come after rain. Last I week know. I predicted a hot streak and had a monumental shooting slump, and it's... I think. If I keep riding the waves, I'll make it to the shore. And I, I feel like a hot streak has to be coming. It's always darkest before the, the dawn. dawn. That's a real saying. That's yep. like the dark night, baby. <laughs> Love that movie. Maybe I'll watch that tonight. Yeah, that'll that'll make it better. All right. <laughs> Till next week. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for watching this episode of Foul Trouble. Podcast. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>